Dr. Mike here. Did you know that lithium could play a major role in helping some people with Alzheimer's disease? Stick around to find out why. You're listening to Live Foreverish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your host, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. Hey, Dr. Mike here. Thank you for joining me with Live Foreverish. Um, of course, I'm here with my co host, Dr. Crystal Gossert. Ah, I caught you off guard a little bit there. You were, uh, <laughs> you must be thinking about lithium and Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh, that was a good one, Dr. Mike. <laughs> yes. So, uh, I, you know, so obviously this is a big, uh, uh, important topic for lots of people. Um, Alzheimer's is one of those uh, diseases where when you mention it, I mean, people get scared. Right. I mean, yes. you 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 hear about how horrific this disease can actually be, um, you know, when it comes to like taking away who somebody is. You know, it's not just it's not just a memory thing. Right. It's personalities change. Behaviors change. Right. It's, it's much more than just cognition going off. Right. Yes. And I've, I've actually witnessed it with uh, several relatives firsthand. And the saddest part is when they no longer recognize their spouse, their children, you know, it's, it's a really sad um, disease to have. And, you know, some people, you find that it is all throughout their family. Uh, One of our senior wellness specialists with life extension, she she talks about it often because her grandmother has it um, and three of her aunts. Wow. What? Yes. Yeah. So, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about maybe some of that familial genetic genetic connection and link and stuff like that. But I do remember, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before, but um, uh, one of the first patients I ever really had as a medical student was an Alzheimer's patient. I remember it um, vividly because uh, so he was late stages and you would give him a, a pen to like write with. Right. And he could do two things. You could give him the pen and he would go, Oh, that's a pen. And then you ask him, well, what do you do with it? And he had no idea. Oh, and you could see though, he was frustrated. Like he knew he was supposed to do something with it, but he couldn't just do it. Or you can give him the pen and just have like, help him start writing. Yeah. And he'd start writing whatever. And you'd be like, well, what is that? And he couldn't come up with the name pen. Oh, wow. I know. So, so I, and that was, that kind of stuff sticks with me as a clinician. And I know um, a lot of family members are dealing with this and it's a, it's a really tough um, situation for the caregiver. Maybe that's a whole nother podcast caregivers and how to, oh, yes. how to, how to take care of the caregiver. Right. So that's a, that's another topic. I first wanted to ask you um, because it's one of those really scary diseases, right. And, and, um, like, like prevention is big here for I think most people, especially when it runs in your family like that. Yes. What are some of the, what what's the latest research telling us about early detection? Well, most, in most cases, by the time a person um, displays, I would say overt signs that something's wrong, it's usually pretty progressed. Unfortunately, most people miss the early signs. And I don't know if they if it's a if they miss it because they they just don't know any better. Um, You know, I've talked to to several people about it and have asked those questions. You know, did you notice anything 
like at, at any point did something, you know, did you think, oh, this is a little off? And, you know, oftentimes they say yes. Looking back, they Looking realize, back, they, yeah, they noticed you, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you look back, you notice even something as simple as loss of old uh, odor. Yeah. Like the sense of smell. Yeah. Um, hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, just difficulty remembering events, um, difficulty concentrating, problem solving, um, problems finishing daily tasks at home or at work. And a lot of times you just think, oh, I'm getting old, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's it. But sometimes those are some of those early signs um, that, you know, just in general, if I would say if you're noticing any type of cognitive changes, then you need to investigate it. Yeah, yeah. Work, work, work. Have your doctor work that up. It, it, and, and listen, in most cases, it's not going to be Alzheimer's, right? It's not. Um, right. It could be mild cognitive impairment, you know, whatever that is. But um, yeah, memory issues, cognitive issues, forgetting things, you know, more than the everyday stuff. I mean, and that's where this is kind of hard sometimes, right? Because right. There, there, is a, there is a certain amount of getting a little older and everyday memory lapses. That does that does happen. Um, but if it's, if it's um, disrupting your everyday life, uh, I think, yeah, you should get that checked and be worked up uh, for all different types of possible causes. Yes, I think that's I, the best advice. Yeah. And, and my mom, she was so excited with her. She's on a new insurance plan and they send out yearly like a home health nurse to come out and do just, you know, a general preventative evaluation. And she was like, I passed the Alzheimer's one. <laughs> she was so excited. Um, and, and I was, you know, I asked her, well, what did they do? And it was really just a series of questions. Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes they go back to the previous question. Now, do you remember what did I ask you about this? And, you know, and, and so it's very, um, I would say simple or basic lineup of questions that, yeah. that can help you to identify it early. Yeah, I think, and that's a good point. I think maybe as we start to get older, uh, asking your doctor to to do a mini mental status exam, to right. do some of this stuff in your general workup, you know. And I, I don't know when you, when does that start? Fifty five, sixty five. I don't I don't know. I don't. There's no data that really tells us that. But at some point, we should probably be adding that to the cholesterol check and blood pressure check and all that other stuff. Absolutely. Well, we know it usually occurs later in life, greater than 65 years. So, you know, I would say 55, 60. I want my doctor start asking me those questions. Maybe Dr. Yeah. Mike, you can start asking me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not there yet. I'm the one that's getting there. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to ask me these things, but you know, it is it is interesting too when you look at the different stages, stage one, two, three, four of Alzheimer's, and not every, not everybody labels it that way, but just in general, there's mm -hmm. basically four stages: mild, moderate, severe, and end stage. That's kind of like how they categorize it mm -hmm. or whatever. the The mild to moderate stages can last for years and be very subtle. Very so true. you have you have people with Alzheimer's disease. If you if you were able to do a biopsy of their brain, you would see some of those changes. Right. Um, but yet their symptoms could come and go. Is that just getting older? Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then what's really scary about this disease is once you hit into that stage three, that more severe stage, symptoms like take off. Yes. I mean, within a, I've seen people within a year 
go from recognizing family members and not. That is I true. Mean, that, that's how fast it can be. So I think early detection with, with some basic um, clinical evaluation from your doctor is really important. So you get in your 50s and 60s, you might want to start thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of different theories. I mean, people you know, always are wondering, like, why, what is Alzheimer's exactly? What do we think is causing Alzheimer's? Um, and there's a lot of different um, theories out there. Uh, I think one of the, the big ones to talk about is what some of my colleagues are calling type 3 diabetes, which is diabetes in the brain. Um, do you have any thoughts there? Well, you know, I certainly, th- there's compelling information on um, on the type 3 diabetes, I guess, theory. And, and some of the supporting data is when you look at some of the ways to, um, to kind of address the diabetes in the brain and, and the connection between excess glucose and what that, you know, that involvement with the formation of some of the tangles and some of the plaque. And and we know that there is definitely a connection with glucose and, and neuronal uh, structure. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. I think, um, you know, the insulin resistant issue that can occur systemically can occur also in the brain. And when that happens, you can end up getting glycation in yes. on brain cells and, and, and you, be, you begin to damage brain cells and those damaged brain cells tend to then um, um, get involved more in the production of what this is what I call it in my lectures and stuff, mm-hmm. abnormal proteins. I'm not saying that's the official like words for them, but right. tau proteins, amyloid proteins. These are proteins um, that are signs of damage. Um, and and you'll see uh, uh, these increase in a, a brain diabetic uh, process. Right. And, and one of the, the main issues is, you know, we all get some of these abnormal proteins. Yes. But whenever we have chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, you know, more oxidative stress than usual. And obviously that happens when you have excess glucose and more damage occurring in the body. Um, Your body is not as equipped to manage those proteins that can sometimes, you know, accumulate, you know, the, the immune system, a healthy, strong immune system can recognize some of those proteins and clear them out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why most leading experts believe that the cause of Alzheimer's is multifactorial, that it's a it's an accumulation of many different stressors um, on the brain. You 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 mentioned most of them there, oxidative stress, inflammation, insulin resistance. We're talking about that kind of stuff. There may be some genetic connections there with a certain uh, what's called apoprotein, but uh, regardless, it's an accumulation of these things over time. I do want to talk real briefly about an interesting fact. Okay. Um, countries that are not fully developed, that are developing, third world countries, developing countries, and then countries that eat a lot of spices, they do not have the near the incidence um, of, of dementias like Alzheimer's than developed countries. That's something we should look at. Absolutely. And, you know, the first thing that I think about is the microbiome. And um, 
you know, the other thing I think about in some of those countries is, you know, let's look at what's what's in their diet. What what how are they eating? What spices are they using in, in, in your diet? But we do know in your um, developing countries, they you know, maybe their their level of sanitation is not may not be the same as in your developed countries. And, you know, they may be exposed to more um to their environment that helps them to have a more diverse There's something there. I, I do think there's something there. It's that whole idea of over sand, um, over, um, what's the word? What, um, cleansing over right, the um, hygiene. Yeah, hypothesis. We, yeah. The hygiene hypothesis, like we over sanitize there, there could be something there too. There were some people that originally thought that maybe it had to do with industrialization, you know, maybe industrialized countries with environmental toxins and all that. Um, and maybe that's, what's playing the role here. I, I think there's something to that, but yet when you look at India, India is an industrialized country. Well, Yes, they're, they're not. India is has as much industry as anybody else does. Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. they don't have that same incident. So I think I think there's maybe something in the sanitation, the spices, dietary lifestyle things that we definitely need to investigate. Yes, absolutely. Other thoughts is um, mitochondrial dysfunction. I think it doesn't get enough attention. We know right. that our mitochondria, that is the powerhouse of, of all of the cells. And this is what's needed to for for your cells to to work, including the nerve cells. And, yep. and there's actually some some research kind of now looking at, um, you know, mitochondria, um, the, the numbers of mitochondria sometimes declining and now the nerve cell can't function properly as being, you know, associated yeah. with Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's a simple concept, right? I mean, yeah. and, and we've talked about this several times. If you can't make energy, cellular energy, if you can't con- food, convert food into chemical ATP and you don't have a good ATP stores, the cell can't function the way it's way. It, it, needs, it needs fuel to do what it's supposed to do. And then you start seeing a breakdown in some of these basic pathways involved in brain cell function. And, and you start seeing um, aberrations of that. And then you get the amyloids and the towels right. and, and, and some of that stuff. I mean, mitochondrial decay um, or dysfunction is an insult. It's, a, it's an injury. To, to the brain cell in a sense. So I think there's a lot there too. Infection was big. Did I ever tell you when I, I spoke at, um, at Nova University here in South Florida and I uh, did a whole talk on spirochetes? Oh. Did I ever tell you that? No. I think I did. Yes, I did. I yeah, don't you need remember. To go through, yeah, you need to go through some tests. Um, <laughs> but yeah, spirochetes, they have um, – in several different studies, uh, in different centers throughout the world, they have cultivated or cultured a high number of spirochetes in the sinuses and nasal cavities of Alzheimer's patients. Oh, that's fascinating. In- interesting, right? Wow. No, again, you guys, we don't have any definitive. These are just people are just trying to work through what might be going on. And again, I go, I go back to that original statement, and I think you agree, Dr. Crystal. It's multifactorial. Yes. You're not going to find like one thing. Right. Wow. Yeah. So let's let's move into um, there's a lot of. Um, we could talk a lot about different nutrients, different drugs, all that. I, I don't I don't I, I want to focus on one in particular. And I said this in the teaser lithium. Yes. Why are we so excited about lithium? 
Well, so two reasons why I think we're excited about it. And let's see if we're aligned with why you think we're excited about it. <laughs> and Ryan. I want people to know that Crystal and I, we just make an outline. We don't really like compare. We just talk. We don't, we don't, we don't plan a lot of this, do we? <laughs> no, which is good. We want it to be authentic and, you know. Um, so one thing with lithium is we know there's a connection between lithium and cognitive health. That's that's a tried and true connection. We know that lithium is um, so far. You know, I agree with doses, you. Treated, uh, used to treat bipolar disorders, but we also know that at some of the the lower doses, the micro doses can also be very beneficial for brain health. But many people are purifying their water. They're drinking bottled water. They are, you know, they have the home filtration. Yeah, lots of fancy filters, right? Right. So now, and and it is a, you know, it's it's a mineral that we need and we just may not be getting enough. So that's why. It's it's, it's like the new missing mineral. (laughs) Because wasn't magnesium was the original missing mineral, right? I think it's still missing in many many people. But lithium is one that, you know, I think a, a lot of people, may have, when you think lithium, you kind of think, oh, well, I don't have, you know, bipolar disorder. I'm not suffering from depression. I don't need that. But we, we do see that in areas where, where lithium levels are, um, are lower, like in, in the drinking water, there are higher rates of homicides, suicides, rate, uh, rapes, um, and so, you know, in comparison to areas where they had higher levels of lithium in their drinking water. So it, yeah. to me, that makes you think, hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, I, let's, but okay, let's go back to back up just for a sec. Cause you kind of said it pretty quickly. There's, there's two different doses of lithium we're talking about, right? There's, right. there's, there's the dose of lithium that you you would prescribe for somebody with bipolar disorder as an mm-hmm. example, right? That's, that's like in the huge milligrams, right? That's like way up there. I don't, yeah, I don't like remember. I haven't hundred milligrams. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, I don't know what the current, but it's, it's way high dose. Um, but then it's in there. So that's important for that group, right? Right. That's, that's the correct dose. But then there's a, another dose that we're talking about it. You called it a, a micro dose, a trace right. mineral, dose, whatever, whatever words you want to use. We're talking about, micrograms basically now you know much lower milligrams now and and it's it's when that is missing when that little piece is missing that's the connection to maybe some of these other mental disorders cognitive dysfunction that kind of stuff right yes i'm happy you clarified that because we when when you look at kind of what's in the drinking water we're talking you know 150 micrograms you know not that much that you'll find in your drinking water and when you're not getting that you know, there could be potentially be some issues. And we also know when we talked about the mitochondria and the nerve cell needing to be able to function, lithium has been shown to increase the number of mitochondria. Yeah. Oh, so that's look at another that. reason you're, why I'm look excited. At that. You're, you're going back to the mitochondria. Yes. I agree. No, you know me. I will back any any anybody's lecture education about mitochondrial decay because I think it it plays a huge role just in overall longevity and everything, no, no doubt. Um, uh, so, but, you know, I want to wrap this up now. So lithium is important. It's something to consider, especially if you're doing filtered waters, uh, bottled waters, that kind of stuff. 
Um, more and more companies like Life Extension is offering, I, I, I guess you would call it a, a, a daily lithium dose, right? A, a, yes. a basic, yeah. Well, the RDA yeah. has now um, created kind of like a provisional RDA for it. No, the FDA. <laughs> There is now, let's clarify, a provisional <laughs> yeah, RDA boop, boop, for boop, boop. lithium at about a thousand micrograms. Yeah. So, you know, it's something that even the attention from a conventional perspective, you know, is getting some attention and it's something that, that everyone should look into. Yeah. And I, we don't have time to get into, there's an, a certain enzyme in the brain that is actually inhibited um, by lithium, which could which is probably how it's giving us the, the brain benefit, but, but we're excited. Actually, there's a lot of good animal models, at least, at least at this point showing that lithium can help to clear up some of those abnormal proteins, improve memory and cognition uh, in animal models. There's, I think a few small uh, human models as well. Definitely more research is needed, but it's something to consider. And, and lithium is, is just overall important um, for, for brain health. So it's something you might want to consider, again, especially if you're drinking filtered waters and, and bottled water all the time, right? That's right. Yeah. Dr. Gossard, excellent job. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It's always all right, great. Yeah, I'm going to thank everybody for listening to Live Foreverish. Don't forget, for more podcasts, you go to liveforeverish.com. That's liveforeverish.com. Like, share, comment, and subscribe so you never miss a show. I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening.